six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Good afternoon and welcome to a public affair. My name is Douglas Haynes and I'll be your host for this hour. Since time immemorial, the Ho-Chunk people have called the area that became Madison Dejope, or Four Lakes. Today, the lakes still define this place never more than in high summer, when many of us flock to them for recreation. But often, algal blooms, E. coli, and pollution close beaches and raise concerns for people who fish, swim, and boat in the lakes. One day last month, all of Lake Monona's beaches were closed. And Madison's continued growth, the warming climate, and more frequent heavy rains are all combining to worsen threats to the lakes. So what's the state of the lakes this summer, and what's being done to improve their water quality? Joining me to answer these questions and talk about all things Yahara Lakes are two guests, Jennifer Lavender Braun, microbiologist with Public Health Madison in Dane County, and Paul Dearlove, Deputy Director of the Clean Lakes Alliance. We're very excited to have both of you with us today. Jennifer, welcome to A Public Affair. Hey, thank you for having me. And Paul, welcome to you as well. Glad to be here, Douglas. Thank you. And welcome, listeners. We'd love for you to join our conversation. If you have a question about the Hiahara Lakes or would like to share a recent experience with the lakes, please give us a call at 608 256 2001 extension 9 that's 608-256-2001 extension 9 you can also reach out to us on facebook look for a public affair or tweet us at wrt talk and we'll try to get your question or comment right on the air so i'd like to start off today just um to give everybody the lay of the land and water so to speak um, Paul, I'm going to ask you, first of all, to give us a, a little description of the Yahara Lakes watershed and the Yahara River system that extends then beyond. So everybody knows exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the Yahara Lakes. Sure. Yeah. And f- first of all, I'm uh, Paul Dearlove, uh, Deputy Director at Clean Lakes Alliance. So uh, we do uh, all of our work within the Yahara uh, watershed. And when I t- talk about the Yahara watershed, I'm, I'm talking about the land surface uh, that surrounds our lakes that, that drains surface water to those lakes. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a quite extensive area, that area that drains surface water just to the five lakes, which would be Mendota, Monona, Wingra, Wabisa, and Kanganza, uh, covers about 385 square um, miles. In, in surface area, so it's uh, quite a number of uh, uh, communities that are that are um, in, uh, part of this watershed. Great, and um, let's continue sort of getting the lay of the land and on the ground perspectives here. I'm going to turn it over to you, Jennifer, um, and you are involved in monitoring the beaches here uh, on all five lakes, correct? Here in Dane County. Yes, so Public Health Madison-Dane County's role in monitoring the beaches is really to get out there and make sure we're keeping up to date on the current conditions so that we can inform the public whether or not they should be going in the water. And we monitor 23 different locations, the majority on the Yahara Chain of Lakes. We also monitor some locations further out at Stewart Lake in Mount Horeb. Uh, Verona's Fireman's Park, and we are taking samples in right now from a little further down in Stoughton at Troll Beach and doing the testing for them. We also work with some partners to test the water that they sample at UW Health, so along the um, campus area there. They bring in samples from the Memorial Union Pier to make sure everyone who likes to go out and recreate in that area is being safe as well. And that's really our goal is the monitoring the current conditions and making sure everyone's informed. So we'll get into um, what you're finding with the monitoring this summer and general kind of state of the lakes in a minute. But first, Jennifer, um, uh, give us a sense of what a day in the life monitoring the lakes looks like. What's it like to be out there and what all are you doing uh, with your team there? When we go out in the lakes, we usually are prepared to gather some conditions at each of the beaches, collect a sample, do a visual assessment to see if there's any blue-green algae present, and then we bring all the samples we've collected back to the lab for analysis. 
So we go out and at each beach, we will wade out into the water and collect that sample. While we're out there, we're taking a temperature of the water and that's always updated on our website along with when we've last taken that sample. So you get an idea, is it gonna be cold early in the season or is it finally warmed up and it's gonna feel nice? Um, all of our staff are trained also to look at the water and see if there's any blue-green algae present. If we see a bloom is present and we're pretty sure that it's cyanobacteria, this blue-green algae, which can produce toxins, our staff will go ahead and close the beach right away. But they will also collect a sample and bring that back to our lab for testing so that we can get a level on that toxin that's present. We also test for E. coli which is an indicator of overall water quality. And there is a limit set for that where we would prompt a closure. So when we get over that limit, we're gonna close the beach because at that point, the chances of someone getting sick increase and we wanna make sure we're keeping everyone healthy who is enjoying the lakes. So you mentioned there uh, blue-green algae, uh, temperature of the water, E. coli, some of the big issues that come up with beach mm-hmm. closer, closures. Um, and we'll talk more about those in detail. How, uh, just generally speaking, do you see the Yahar Lakes doing this summer in terms of algal blooms and beach closer, closures? I think we've been doing fairly well this year. Um, we've had less closures for blue-green algae this year than we did last year. Um, we've had a little less closures in general, and some of that might be due to, you know, weather conditions. Some of that is due to some of our beaches having systems installed there to help with that. So there are a handful of beaches on the lakes now that have a clean beach corridor installed. Um, that's something that was developed by John Reimer at Dane County Land and Water, and it is a system that encloses the beach area and filters the water and pumps it back out into that enclosed area. And we've seen a major improvement in the beaches that have that installed in terms of blue-green algae and high bacteria levels. This year, it opened at Warner Park. On uh, that one, we have seen last year, Warner Park had 17 closures for blue-green algae. This year, they've had two. And I believe both of those were during a time when that system was being worked on. It wasn't properly working at that time. Since it's a new system, there's always a few bugs to work out. Um, but it's made a, a big improvement in those areas. Paul, I'm going to turn it over to you for that, that same question. Uh, what's your general sense of the state of the lakes this summer? Yeah, the, the, the lakes. So we have our own eyes. Um, we have a great partnership with, the, with uh, public health, and we have our own eyes on the lake through our lake forecast uh, uh, volunteer network. Um, so we have uh, volunteer monitors who uh, have different monitoring stations set up a- around every lake. And we have over 100 trained citizen monitors who are trained in how to identify different types of algal blooms, including just being able to distinguish between cyanobacteria and, and green algae, uh, which green algae is, is, is benign and, and cyanobacteria can be toxic. So we have a concern with the cyanobacteria and they monitor uh, as well. Um, and they take uh, clarity readings. Um, this is all near shore monitoring, uh, most, more, mostly near shore monitoring, some offshore but they take uh, clarity readings and uh, other kinds of visual observations and then report that through our uh, Lake Forecast app. Uh, It's also a a dynamic website, lakeforecast.org. And you can see current water quality uh, monitoring conditions around all the lakes at any time. Uh, it's It's near real time information. And we partner with public health. Public health uh, when they uh, monitor, you know, officially monitor a beach and determine that it's unsafe for whatever reason, high cyanobacteria or E. coli, and they close the beach, then that's automatically shown on the lake forecast site. Um, what we're seeing, um, this is all kind of anecdotally right now because we don't do our data processing and analysis until after the season is over. But in general, what uh, just what Jennifer said, says, I'll echo that, is that we're seeing a pretty good year, pretty good summer, um, potentially because it's been pretty dry, relatively speaking. 
Um, most of the lakes have been, uh, or the monitors around those lakes have been reporting pretty clear, clear conditions and not very many cyanobacteria blooms. Um, except Kaganza has been having, a, anecdotally now, a bit of a rough year. We've been hearing more reports about poor clarity or more cyanobacteria sightings down on Lake Kaganza, which is the lowest lake on the, ch on the chain. Um, but in general, uh, pretty good. Good news. And I want to take a chance just to reintroduce both of you here. Uh, you're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. And my name is Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking today with microbiologist Jennifer Lavender Braun with Madison Public Health, Madison Dane County Public Health, and Paul Dearlove, De Deputy Director of the Clean Lakes Alliance. We'd love to have you join us in the conversation. Please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. So we've talked about uh, a few of the threats. Obviously, uh, the lakes are a pretty complex ecosystem. You've mentioned cyano cyanobacteria or toxic blue-green algae and E. coli as kind of um, some of the more high-profile issues that people are aware of that can threaten um, water quality. Let's get into a few of the other issues or challenges that the lakes are facing. Um, in particular, I'd like to ask you, Paul, about one of them that's been in the news a lot uh, over the past few years, which is um, PFAS. Can you tell us just briefly kind of what PFAS is and why we're concerned about it in the lakes and where it's coming from? Yeah, um, and let me, let me start because we're, you know, we're getting into into issues affecting the lakes, and 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 I know that that sends sort of the alarm bells off, right, in people's minds that the lakes are these things that we should just avoid. And and I want to make sure that as we dive into some of these issues that we are challenged with to try to, um, you know, ensure we have good water quality out in the lakes, that uh, the lakes are in general and most often, you know, very safe to to to, to use and to, to swim in and. And of course, there are times when when they're not, and we want to, uh, as an organization and as as different partners working in the watershed, we want to, of course, address these challenges so that they're always safe and they, they, and the quality is as good as it can be um, when we're interacting with with the water. But to answer your question about PFAS, so that's uh, an acronym uh, for polyfluoral alkyl substances. Um, PFAS are uh, it's a chemical uh, and, and man-made chemical that is uh, common in many different consumer products like nonstick pans and uh, uh, rain repellent gear, uh, some like carpeting. Um, it's in wrappers and, and food wrappers because uh, it has this ability to uh, repel water in a real effective way. Um, it's also in uh, fire retardant foams that are used at uh, different airports. Um, in case there's an accident, you need to put out the fire really quickly. PFAS-based foams are have been used in the past to put out those, those uh, intense fires. And what's been discovered over time is that uh, these chemicals, uh, also called forever chemicals, simply don't go away. And uh, they they stay in the environment and they cause a number of public health issues, um, and uh, including some some cancers. And this is it, it's so ubiquitous, it's widespread, it's it's found in it, it, because it's been around since the I think it's like the 40s or 50s um, when this the PFAS started to become incorporated into these different consumer products. So it's managed to uh, spread in the environment considerably. Because we have uh, the, the airport and we have um, military operations working out of the um, airport, PFAS foam has been used in the past and that has gotten into the groundwater, um, unfortunately. And that water, that any water, we, you know, we belong to one water. What's groundwater is surface water, surface water becomes groundwater, it's all connected. And so that groundwater is entering our lakes and that PFAS has 
has been found in uh, not just the groundwater, which has caused at least one well to shut down or be shut down in Madison on the east side, um, but it's also been found in fish tissue and it's been found in the lakes uh, downstream of, uh, of, of the, um, the airport. So it's been found in Monona all the way down and, in, and again in, in fish tissue. So there are consumption advisories, fish consumption advisories that are in place. And of course, as, as an organization that's concerned about lake health, um, it's of concern to us and we wanna see, uh, see something done about the issue. We wanna make sure that it's, it doesn't continue and we don't continue to have fish consumption advisories and contamination of our waters. People may have seen signs posted, for example, along Starkweather Creek or, or around Lake Monona about those fish advisories. If there are, if people would like more information about those fish advisories, um, do either of you have any good suggestions for, for sources of information about finding out more about how PFAS is affecting fish populations? I'll start, and I, I'm sure Jennifer has some of the, through public health. Um, I know, you know, Wisconsin DNR um, makes those consumption advisory determinations. Uh, they've also been involved in, I know a lot of like the fish, fish testing, uh, fish tissue testing. Uh, so they, they would be, if, if you want more detailed information on consumption advisories, that would be a good place to start the um, Wisconsin Department of, of Natural Resources. And I'm, I'm sure Jennifer has probably some local sources, maybe through public health. Yeah, so we have um, some links on our website um, about PFAS, and through that, it will link you to those pages at Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, so it'll take you to those pages specific to PFAS and the advisories in FISH, and give you just some other information on how we are working on it in our area, as well as ways to reduce exposure. Because as Paul mentioned, this isn't something that's only found in our lakes and only found in fish. It is so ubiquitous. It's in so many things. That's not going to be your only form of exposure. Um, it's out there so prevalent that educating yourself on where those exposures might happen is a great way to get started. Thank you both. That was super helpful in under helping us understand that issue. Um, I want to circle back to the algae uh, a minute as well, because um, we can begin to bring in some larger context here. So what what is causing the algae blooms in the lakes and cyanobacteria in particular? And obviously, I know both of you are involved and well aware of, of issues or ways we can begin addressing that and initiatives that are addressing that. So we'll, we'll get to that, too. But give us the basics, first of all, on, on what's causing these algae blooms. E either one of you can. Sure, I can, I'd be happy to, to take a first crack at this. So uh, the, the, the algae, the, the reason why our lakes are so frequently green um, and sometimes even pea soup kind of conditions out there is that they receive they're 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 fertile they're well fertilized let's just say that um you know lakes are 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 it's often lakes are considered uh, reflections of their watershed because the land uh determines oftentimes the health of the water body so depending on how healthy the landscape is that will mirror how healthy the the, the lakes are and what we use to fertilize our lawns and our crops and you know things on the landscape are the same things that fertilize the algae that's in the in the lakes. Um, so the, the the nutrient in particular, uh, nutrients normally are good, right? Uh, we need nutrients to survive, but when you have too many nutrients, in the case of the lakes, uh, it it causes them to become overrun with algae and aquatic plant life and and they just turn green and pea soupy. Uh, so phosphorus is, is the main issue or nutrient of concern. Uh, it, it, in most cases, limits the amount of algae growth that's occurring in the lakes, meaning that it's a real potent nutrient, and it's also the nutrient that's in shortest supply of, of which the algae need. So if, and it's also the most controllable nutrient on, probably on the lands, landscape that has this type of effect. So, um, Phosphorus is contained in, in, 
and soil. It's contained in organic matter like leaves. Um, and it gets into our lakes when the soil erodes and, and runoff transports that soil or uh, um, material in, into the lakes. So like leaves in the fall, for instance, uh, when leaves sit in piles on the streets, if they're allowed to do that, they uh, kind of like brew uh, this, this leaf tea that's super rich in phosphorus. So you can consider them like a leaf tea bag. Uh, it's not the physical leaf that's moving into the storm sewer into the lake, but it's the, the water that's sort of percolating through those, those leaf piles or the leaf debris in the streets that carries phosphorus into the lakes. It's also happening in, uh, up in the upper reaches of the watershed, like in, in our agricultural areas where you have um, a, a big dairy industry and lots of cows out on the landscape. Um, if that manure from the cows isn't properly managed, handled, contained, um, that could easily run off into, into, the, in, into the watershed, into the streams that didn't get into the lakes. That's a source of phosphorus. Um, fertilizers. Uh, that's why we had a while back, um, a ban put in place first at the city and county level and then statewide, uh, for, uh, phosphorus based lawn fertilizers. Um, not that they can't be used, but that you need to, there are ex exceptions that you can use phosphorus when it's needed in those lawn fertilizers, but in general, it's, um, it's not encouraged or, or generally used because it's. It, it, it has that, that effect. And one pound of phosphorus can yield up to, you know, roughly rule of thumb, about 500 pounds of, of algae in our water. So it just takes a little bit of phosphorus to have this huge multiplier effect in the lakes. I'm sure many of us have seen uh, the vessels that go out into the lakes collecting the algae. So when you're talking about 500 pounds of algae, I was I was visualizing the heaps of of algae on the back of those vessels. Um, could Jennifer, would you uh, be able to tell us a little bit more about the efforts uh, that are that are being done to, for example, collect algae or deal with the algae problem? Sure. And when you see those, you know, vessels out on the lakes collecting like the weeds and the plant material and the algae, a lot of that is more of like the plant-based algae and weeds in the lakes. And it does help to remove that because those are going to grow and take over areas as well with that same kind of fertilizer, like Paul said. Um, when it comes to the toxic algae, the blue-green algae, it is cyanobacteria. It's a bacteria, so it is not forming like a plant that you can easily pick up and remove from the water. It is a single cell that grows and multiplies into just like Paul said this pea soup in many cases or what I've heard people describe what looks like spilled paint on the water and that is not something we can easily go out and just pick up and remove in most cases. It does often move on very quickly. Sometimes we'll see a bloom and come back in an hour and it's gone. Other times, if conditions are just right, we might see the start of a bloom in one location and given a day or less, that bloom is now taken over half the shoreline of one of the lakes. Um, in these conditions, it's often preceded by a very heavy rainfall that gets that runoff. So as that rain's coming down, it's washing all this nutrient-rich you know, water into the lakes and if that heavy rainfall is followed by a couple of days with really, you know, dry, stagnant weather with a lot of heat like we get in the summer, that is the perfect recipe for those algae to just want to grow and bloom. And if there's no rain or heavy winds pushing them away from shore, it will just stay there. And we haven't had some of those in a while, but we have had some reported blooms where it starts on one end of Lake Mendota and you can see it go all the way from the south end to the north end and until we get something else to help push it away it just kind of stays there and grows and that phosphorus is a huge part of that it is food to that algae just like it would be food to your plants or your lawn um, those fertilizers that grow a plant will grow this algae and it's at that point, our main goal as public health is to make sure people are staying out of that water, staying safe, keeping their dogs away from it, out of the water, that we're posting signs that the beach is closed, putting that on our website, 
And then that will go also to, um, as Paul said, their lake forecast to say, you know, don't go in this water when it looks like this. And most of the time, I think most people would look at that and not want to go in anyway. (laughs) But we want to just be absolutely sure that we're keeping people out when it does get like that. Absolutely. Um, Thank you both for that um, wonderful description of what's happening with algae blooms in the lake and cyanobacteria blooms. I want to remind listeners that you are hearing a public affair here on WRT 89.9 FM. And my name is Douglas Haynes. I'm talking today with Jennifer Lavender Braun from Public Health Madison in Dane County and Paul Dearlove, Deputy Deputy Director of the Clean Lakes Alliance. We're talking about all things Yahara Lakes today and the watershed that feeds into these lakes. How do you use these lakes and how are issues like algae blooms or other um, challenges that the lakes are facing affecting how you use the lakes? We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. I think this is a good time for us to turn into some of those uh, big initiatives that are dealing with some of the issues you've been describing. Certainly, there are other issues we can talk about, too. But let's um, remind everybody, as Paul was reminding us, that there are a lot of people that care about the lakes and that the lakes are um, most times um, very safe Uh, to swim in and use, and there are people working hard to improve them. So let's talk about some of these recent success stories of water quality improvements and initiatives that are um, driving them. Paul, do you want to start off with the initiatives that are foremost on your mind? Yeah, sure. Uh, So I should mention, too, like our our Clean Lakes Alliance vision. Um, You know, we, we envision a future where everybody views the lakes as this as central to the community and to, to you know to our identity and that we we prioritize them accordingly. Um, we think that healthy lakes uh, mean healthy communities, and when you have you know healthy lakes, you have healthy communities, and when you have a healthy community, you have healthy lakes. So, you know they're they're intertwined. Um, so anyway, we we also believe that uh, that people. Can make a difference in the lakes that although the lakes have been you know they've had their share of problems since uh going way back um you know first algal blooms were reported uh you know late 1800s um you know we had a city that used to dump its uh its human waste untreated into lake lake monona um you know uh we have come a long way (laughs) <laughs> and we will continue to go to, 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 to make progress and we continue to do to make progress. Um, so, you know, that human waste is now treated. Um, we uh, uh, have rules and regulations and, and a culture that that is, is beginning to, to uh, uh, more and more prioritize our, our, our water health and water quality. And that. Uh, and and that extends to everybody, and everybody has a role to play in in keeping our lakes healthy, um, and that's what Clean Lakes Alliance is is here to try to promote is to try to try to make sure that people uh, feel part of the solution um, because the lakes are really they are our identity, right? And and because they are they sit at the bottom of such an extensive watershed, we all impact the lakes. It's not just one group of people. It's not just one industry. We all impact the lakes and we can impact them for better or for worse. So we try to get the word out there of what people can do as individuals, as groups, as partners. And one of the things that makes Clean Lakes Alliance so successful is our partners. Um, You know, our mission is to bring people together uh, to, to, to really devote um, energy and effort and investment in the lakes to make them a better resource for all of us to to enjoy. And it is a partnership. So when we talk about successes in our in our lakes, it is it is because of individuals and partners across the watershed that are doing doing the work. It is not, you know, singular to one organization or one agency out there. And what we're trying to do is make make people realize this this is not a the government it, it, government's responsibility to fix all the problems. 
it, it is all of our responsibility. Jennifer, would you like to add anything about initiatives that you see improving the lakes? Sure. And I would definitely echo what Paul said. This is definitely something that takes input from everyone, from a variety of organizations, from everyday people doing the best that you can. There's so many things that have impacted our lakes over the years, like Paul mentioned the raw sewage going into the lakes or, you know, we had past fertilizers that we now would say don't use those because it's going to affect the blue green algae. And, you know, at that time, you know, we didn't know better. But now that we know better, we need to do better. And that takes everyone. And even on, you know, our level for monitoring that has changed over time um, as this has become a more and more prevalent issue with the harmful algal blooms that are toxic. Um, we've seen organizations like the US EPA come out with recommendations for those toxin levels on when people should stay out of the water. Um, previously, they didn't have any guidelines and we had to base it on what we could get from the World Health Organization. Now EPA came out in 2019 with their recommendation that at a lower limit, we should be telling people to stay out of that water when it comes to swimming. Um, and that's something that, you know, might cause a slight increase in closures when we're looking at that toxin level, but it will also cause an increase in keeping people safe and healthy, which is our goal. Um, another project that I know is mentioned quite frequently is um, the legacy sediment removal or the more commonly known suck the muck. <laughs> and that is a project being undertaken by Dane County Land and Water Resource Department. I believe that's something that um, Paul's organization with Clean Lakes Alliance has done some educational series on with their Clean Lakes 101. I think they actually have one coming up soon to take a tour of the area so people can learn more and see exactly what's going on with that. The goal of that project is to remove some of the sediments north of our lakes that have this buildup of these nutrient-rich phosphorus and get that out so that when we get these heavy rainfalls that wash that downstream into our lakes, that over time, that will lessen. And over time, we can remove more and more of that so that we're not getting these big influxes of phosphorus into our lakes causing these blooms. And it's something that's going to take time, but it's something that is worth investing in for our future. You're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9. We're talking today with microbiologist Jennifer Lavender Braun of Madison, uh, Public Health Madison in Dane, Dane County, and Paul Dearlove, Deputy Director of the Clean Lakes Alliance. Please give us a call if you have any questions or comments about the lakes, 608-256-2001, extension Nine. Uh, I want to follow up, Jennifer, about the suck the muck um, and the issue of flooding in particular. Um, my understanding is that's also that initiative is part of um, keeping, bringing sediment out is part of keeping uh, us less vulnerable to flooding. And uh, many people, of course, probably remember the big uh, flood event of, was it 2019? Am I remembering correctly? August of 2018. 18. Okay. Yes. Um, and uh, there have been a lot of initiatives and conversation about how to avoid events like that in the past. So um, let's talk a little bit about the flood issue in particular and lake levels. Um, which one of you would, would like to start off that conversation? I'm, I'm happy to, uh, because I'll, I'll be kind of short. Uh, so Clean Lakes Alliance is not, uh, um, you know, our water levels is a bit outside of our scope. Um, you know, there are instances uh, when water levels can affect water quality, but in general, um, it's just a bit out, outside of our, our scope. But, um, you know, we were talking about suck the muck and what the county is doing. Uh, they are trying to um, remove legacy sediment for two different reasons. One is legacy sediment, uh, that, that, that sediment that's held in the, the, the bottom of streams, for instance, uh, that's been just sitting there in, in many cases, uh, leaks phosphorus. <laughs> so that, that's a constant source of, of phosphorus. So part of their approach is to remove uh, a source of phosphorus. And then the other part, getting to your flooding question and water levels question, is 
is to remove sediment that is constricting channels um, between the lakes and outletting from the lakes so that water can pass through the system in a, in a, a less obstructed way. So it's like clearing the drain in your, your sink or your, your bathtub. It's allowing that water to, to, to pass through a little easier. So there's two different sort of uh, objectives to this uh, overall suck the muck program. What Clean Lakes Alliance does is we're trying to, trying to get uh, culture change and action change on the landscape to prevent that accumulation of legacy sediment in the future. So as those sort of arteries are cleared, you know, of that cholesterol, or in this case, the streams are cleared of that uh, sediment that's clogging them, uh, that it's not just refilling, right? We're not, we're not having ongoing erosion of soil and loss of topsoil that's getting into the streams and other material that's uh, causing this, this source of phosphorus and constricting a, a water flow. So um, that's what we're focused on. We're focused on on uh, kind of going after the source and 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 changing behavior and attitude and actions on the landscape. Um, and and it's it's critically important. And, and I know the county is doing that as well. They they have whole programs dedicated to uh, uh, changing behavior and changing action on the landscape in in a positive, putting in conservation practices, working with farmers, working with urban dwellers, anybody uh, to, to put these practices in place and getting this, removing this legacy sediment is, is uh, correcting sort of the errors of the past in many cases, um, which is just as necessary. You know, we got to look at it from multiple fronts. And so it's, it's going to take both of those approaches to, to eventually reach better water quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what you're getting at really, uh, to me, uh, points us towards the long-term view and long-term slow cultural change, as you're describing, of uh, land use change and how we keep you know the land from running off into the waterways. Um, but then the, the climate is also a big part of this as well. And as both of you talked about earlier, those algal blooms can be exacerbated by uh, heavy rains, hot temperatures, which we know are becoming more frequent here in southern Wisconsin, right? So uh, I'd like to have you both talk a little bit about how you see the long-term uh, view of the lakes in, re in relation to land use change and climate change and uh, what you think we need to be thinking about and, and taking real action on. Jennifer, you want to start us off? Sure. So like I kind of mentioned with the, the harmful algal blooms, the cyanobacteria, I think we start to see a lot of these bigger rain events and this is holds true for the E. coli too that we see in the lakes. As you mentioned earlier, one day this summer we had a day every beach on Lake Monona was closed. That was following a almost two inch rainfall. And what we've seen is as we get these warmer temperatures and this change in climate, we get more of these heavy rainfall events and they may be followed up by days of dryness, near drought conditions, and having those two things combined really can lead to poor conditions in the lakes. And so making those changes where maybe we don't get as much runoff or we don't get impacts that cause high E. coli, um, some of it's hard to, hard to manage. We definitely have had some beaches where a big problem with high E. coli levels is the population of geese at the beach that just have become almost domesticated. They are not afraid of us coming out to that beach at all. They just sit there and enjoy their time. But as soon as we get a heavy rainfall, all that they've left behind on the beach will get washed into that nearshore water where people want to go and wade and swim. And now we have a high E. coli problem. And seeing that Continue is something that, you know, we do what we can to make those positive changes to limit that. Um, but it's a real it's a real thing for the future that as we get these these big rain events and these warmer temperatures, they just create the perfect conditions for these bacteria to grow. And so we're getting out there to make sure we're monitoring as much as we can. We did go out and monitor following that flooding in 2018, and that was actually an event where there was just so much water that we actually didn't see an increase in anything happening because it kind of diluted everything out. 
Um, but we still, for people's safety, did close all the beaches at that time because we just didn't want to take the risk with the higher water levels and the unknowns of how quickly things could change because these things can change very quickly. Uh, we can see these blooms show up one hour and be gone the next. We can see high bacteria in the morning and maybe given a good shift in wind direction, you know, that might blow out into the deeper open water. Um, so we're seeing a lot of change, and I think we're doing our best to stay on top of it in terms of keeping people informed and safe. And we just hope that everyone pays attention and also educates themselves to do whatever they can to help us out in keeping things safe and clean. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add that uh, climate change was, was one of multiple driving forces that uh, really encouraged us as an organization and the community at large to take a, a fresh look at its at the overall plan for cleaning up the lakes. Um, that effort is led by a, uh, a, a coalition of partners called the Yahara Clean Compact. Um, Clean Lakes Alliance uh, convened those partners and there are 19 of them to in total uh, spanning from government to nonprofit to, to industry associations. Um, so it's like one of the biggest partnerships we've had working on the lakes ever. Um, and uh, it, it was it, this climate, the, the climate change is causing a lot of different impacts as, as Jennifer was, was speaking to. Um, and it's sort of like ramped up the delivery mechanism of all these, these pollutants we're talking about, these challenges that our lakes face, right? It's just the conveyor belt is, is, is speeding up uh, because of that rainfall. And so um, these, all these partners got together and under the, the Renew the Blue effort, so it's called Renew the Blue, and that, that's a, a publication that's now available. You can get it off our website, clean, cleanlakesalliance.org. Um, it was signed off by uh, the leaders of, of DNR, the University of Wisconsin, Department of Ag, uh, the mayor of, of Madison, um, and, and all kinds of different uh, collaborators uh, signed off on this uh, to, to kind of put together a blueprint of, of how we go forward. But climate change, yeah, was one of those, those big sort of driving factors and, 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 and we need to deal with this. One of the things that's happening, and you can get a lot of great information from the Wiki report, which is the Wisconsin Initiative for Climate Change Impacts. I think I got that, that acronym correct, or at least it was close. Uh, and, it, and you could, you know, the best scientists have been looking at this and, and projecting what uh, conditions are going to be like. And we're seeing it already. We're seeing like these, these milder winters, for instance. And we know from the Renew the Blue effort and through our, our analysis of the data is that we get most of the runoff of phosphorus into the lakes during the January to March time period. So because the ground is frozen, we have... Um, uh, you know, again, we have a, a, a dairy industry in the northern part of our watershed where the cows are always there. They're always doing their thing. That and, and normally that's a resource. That manure is a resource, like uh, and it's good for the crops. Uh, but when too much of it's being generated and it's being if, if it's being held or placed in the wrong places, uh, and that occurs on the winter in the winter, then it's running off. And we we're getting these February rainstorms now, which we didn't get very many in the past. That's becoming more and more frequent. So uh, we had it, we took a fresh look at these things and and tried to apply, uh, figure out where the strategies need to be applied to uh, adjust for that that climate impact. But let me just say this, and then I'll I'll stop. <laughs> Is um, on on the positive side of things, modeling was done that shows that over the last thirty years, if, if climate would have stayed the same and runoff conditions would have stayed the same we would have seen a 36% decline in phosphorus being delivered to the lakes. And that is a testament to the effectiveness of, of practices being put on the landscape that is controlling erosion, conservation measures that are, that are, are doing their job. And, we, and so we know what the solutions are. We know that they work. We just need to, to ramp those up to increase the scale of those so that they match what's happening on the climate side. 
So in other words, what uh, farmers are doing in collaboration with um, government agencies, nonprofit sector, other stakeholders, you're saying is working to reduce soil erosion and working to reduce the phosphorus loading in the lakes. But uh, the land use change, the development of Madison, urbanization, and the climate issues are, are making it harder for those, those efforts to gain traction, as much traction yeah. as they could. Yes, the effectiveness is being masked by the increased amount of runoff that we're getting at the and the timing of those runoff events. And it's to the point where we need we know we need to do more of it. So, um, you know, we've adopted a lot of these conservation practices to some degree, but there's a lot more of these that can be adopted. You know, it's just like like all of us may be doing some things to help protect the lakes, but I think all of us can do a lot more as well. And so we, we know what we, again, what we need to do, we just need to do more of it. And we need to do it in a strategic fashion. And we know everything costs money, everything costs time. Um, and, and so part of what Renew the Blue attempted to do was uh, try to target that effort and those resources to where it's gonna be, uh, have the biggest effect. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. We're talking about the Yahara Lakes with microbiologist Jennifer Lavender Braun and Paul Dearlove, Deputy Director of the Clean Lakes Alliance. We have a few minutes left to, to build on that and talk about those solutions and what everybody can do. And um, maybe we should start with the policy level. Um, what kinds of policies should people be trying to influence um, policymakers and stakeholders to enact? And then we'll talk more about individual action as well. But let's start with the um, policy um, who'd like to jump in there? Go ahead, Paul. I'm happy to. I'm happy yeah. to jump in and 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 help Jennifer here. I, I mean, one thing I'd love to see is more resources to public health. Um, you know, everybody loves to, to, to like come up with solutions and oh, we need to do more of this or or more of that. But also, people don't want to pay taxes and they don't want to pay for it. So it's just sort of this this tug of war and this and a balancing act between resources and uh, and need and and willingness to to pay and and to make those investments. And uh, public health does a great job of monitoring a, a, a huge system. You know, five lakes spanning what is it like twenty nine square miles or something of surface water. There are so many beaches out there. Um, and I believe they only have, uh, Jennifer can correct me, uh, it's, it's you know, let, on one hand, and it's not that many fingers of, of staff that are responsible for all those, those beaches. Obviously, they can't be everywhere all the time. And so one of the things that Clean Lakes Alliance tries to do and encourage people to do is advocate for more resources for, the, for, for, for uh, uh, on-the-ground action, the testing that's happening. And the testing and the monitoring is so critical because it's not just about putting practices in place or projects in place. It's also understanding the impact of when those things happen and knowing how the resource, that being the lakes, how it changes over time. Because if you don't have that information, you don't really know where you've come from, where you are now or where you're going. And so it's sort of this overlooked uh, investment need um, everybody just assumes that the lakes are being actively monitored and it's paid for, and it's really not. It's like, you know, our lake forecast program re relies on donations. Jennifer and, and her, her program, you know, relies on dollars being budgeted to allow that staff to be able to go out and, and do those tests. So, um, as she said earlier, the, you know, that might indicate, might result in more beach closures because there's more attention being given to those different beaches than there were before. But people should also have a, a, a better assurance that um, when they are using those beaches, that they are safe. So it's not this constant wondering of like, can I, can I enter the water is, or is that my own peril or my own risk? Jennifer, uh, your suggestions about uh, individual actions or ways that people can get involved in helping protect the lakes. Sure. And yeah, thank you, Paul, for that <laughs> encouragement. Um, yes, at Public Health, we are a small but very you know efficient team. 
I'm the lead microbiologist, and in the summer doing this monitoring work, we usually have one or two uh, summer interns who are helping out with it. So we're a small team getting through a lot. Um, we would love, you know, to be able to do more, do more monitoring, and there are methods we could start doing that have faster monitoring results than what we have now, too, that with support we could maybe invest more into. Um, another thing that might go a long way is a lot of areas have looked at their beaches and improvements that could be made on the ground there through volunteer efforts, through efforts with parks and with public health, with volunteers. Other areas have done things where they change the beach so that the, you know, the landscaping of the beach, the plants planted along the beach help to filter out runoff, help make sure that we're minimizing runoff in those areas. And there's definitely some efforts like that that, you know, we could use support for. And, you know, as something like that potentially could build up, we could use, you know, volunteer effort for too. And then people who live along the lakes, you know, making sure they're educated in those things that might help too. Planting, you know, native species along the shoreline that can help filter off runoff can be a great way just to help minimizing that impact of fertilizer use and just being mindful when you're at the beaches, you know, even even small things like making sure you're not leaving food out or encouraging those geese to hang around at the beach all the time can make a big impact. It seems small, but they have such a big impact at the beach that just doing your part while you're out there and enjoying the lakes, uh, it really helps. And in every little bit that everyone can do will combine together to make a big impact. Paul, um, anything you want to share about ways to get involved with Clean Lakes Alliance before we wrap up here quickly? Yeah, I know we're about out of time. I would just say lead by example. Everybody has an opportunity to lead by example. Do something at your own on your own property. Put in a rain garden. Rake leaves out of the out of the street. Uh, donate to a local non nonprofit. You know, I, I'm going to suggest Clean Lakes Alliance, obviously, but uh, you know, get involved in one of our events, like attend a festival. I think those are simple things that anybody can do and it gets them involved and in, in sort of uh, becoming responsible and part of the solution. We've been talking today about the Yahara Lakes with Paul Dearlove of the Clean Lakes Alliance. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. I appreciate being here. Thank you. And we've been talking with Jennifer Lavender Braun of Public Health Madison and Dane County. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise with us, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd like to thank today's engineer, Andrew, producer, Rochelle, news director, Shali, for your help. Thanks, everyone, and please stay tuned for Madison Bookbeat up next. Angela Trudell Vasquez and Devin Trudell will be in conversation with Matthew Gutierrez about his latest poetry collection, Notes I Wrote Along the Way. You're listening to WRT 89.9 FM, Madison. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, no precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition. Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions.